we'll get started here now. Have you open up? We're going to start up, open up with the word of prayer and open up your Bibles to Matthew. Matthew. Chapter 27. In Matthew 27, we'll start about verse 50. But before we do that, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. You guys with me? Yep. All right, don't go to sleep now. <laughs> let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you once again for giving us this glorious morning. Yes, Lord, we say it's glorious. The world over is celebrating this occasion for the first time in our history that we know of, we are seriously looking at what this day means. It's the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the first time, the commercialism has been taken away. For the first time, the blinders have been taken away. It's not about the bunny. It's not about the eggs. It's not about the dress code or the the shopping malls and everything that's open. Commercialism has been taken out. And Father, I believe you did that with intention. And it was just your timing, as it always has been. So I thank you, Father, that we're able to, to be able to meet together, whether online or here in, in person. I want to thank you for that opportunity to be able to share your word, share your love and encouragement to all. So Father, we ask you to be with us this morning as we go over the biblical verses that have given us this glorious occasion to celebrate. The power of your resurrection that lives within each one of us. We thank you and we praise you. We say these things in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Well, if you know, this is the, the day that has been celebrated as Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday, uh, it, it started off by just a few women showing up at the tomb. It wasn't the crowds, it wasn't the disciples, but it was a few women. But before the women were even there at the tomb, something else was taking place behind the scene. And if you remember how it all unfolded, it was at that time that uh, Jesus Christ was uh, already murdered on the cross. And uh, the Bible tells us that after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, had asked Pilate to take away the body of Jesus Christ. And Pilate gave him permission. He says, go ahead. As a matter of fact, uh, another portion of Scripture tells us that Pilate was surprised that well, he's dead already. I didn't, I didn't know that. And he asked the centurion, can you go check to see, make sure that he's dead? So in that time, he went thrust the spear in Jesus' side and the blood and water came out and came back and told Pilate, yeah, he's gone. And so Pilate says, go ahead, take him. He's yours. And from that time forward, uh, it, it, they knew that something was, was not right. The, the ground shook, the Bible says, at the moment that he uh, bowed his head and, and gave up the spirit. The, the earth coughed up its dead. And they walked around, and I, that just amazes me. There's nothing else that's stated about that except for that. And I've always wondered what what that entailed or the purpose of that. But it was just the power of of the resurrection that just shook the whole universe. The sun was darkened, and, and so it was that day, the the day of preparation, 
the day when the Jews were supposed to be preparing for the Sabbath, because the Sabbath was the next day, which was yesterday, and it was a very peaceful Sabbath. And, and it was meant to be that way. They were supposed to stay home and celebrate, but, but before they could even begin that, they had to prepare. Kind of like what many of you have done for this COVID-19 thing. When you heard of all these things that were, were starting to happen and the possibility of all this, uh, you know, rioting and looting and whatever, this mayhem that was going to take place, many of you prepared you, and, and rightly so, you stocked up and you prepared and, and many of you have been quarantined now for many days and, and, and that's, if you, if you can just think about that and then you add on top of that the loss of a loved one. And so for the most part, most of the Jews weren't really concerned about this, this criminal that was crucified on the cross. They go, well, you know, there goes another one, maybe next time. But for those that were closely attached to Jesus Christ, they surely felt the, the, the profound effect that, that the death of Jesus Christ had. And yet two of the guys, the next, uh, the, two of the guys, Joseph, or Arimathea, and Nicodemus. Joseph was a silent disciple. Uh, the Bible tells us that he was from the council, meaning the uh, the group of priests and Pharisees that got together. But he was a silent disciple. He was afraid that somebody was going to uh, turn him in. But but yet he was waiting for the kingdom of God, and and he recognized that in Jesus Christ. And then of course we know of Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night, and it was both these men that took down the body of Jesus. And when they took his body down, it was a bloody pulp. It was just a mess. It was a messy murder. And so they took him down, and I'm sure they, they washed him and cleaned him up. And But when they took him to the tomb that was nearby, it was a new tomb, as prophesied. It was nobody had ever used it. And some people think it was Joseph's because he was a, a pretty rich man. And they brought 75 pounds of ointment, 75 pounds of spices to, to wrap Jesus' body with. I mean, they bound him tight and they laid him in the tomb. And it was an act of worship. It was an act of devotion. It was an act of, well, for the most part, on probably in their thinking, it was the last final act of service that they can do. And as we are talking about this, the very next day, which was the day after preparation. And I'm reading out of Matthew 27. I'll be reading out of verses 62 through 66. A quiet Saturday. Nobody's supposed to be doing anything. No work. Nothing to be done. And it was the next day that after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise, therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to him, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And in this whole process of sealing and setting and, and everything that takes place as far as making sure that the tomb was secured was, was the stone that was first of all rolled in front of the tomb. And, and there were more than likely these wax seals that were placed on each end of the stone. And, and then from there, a string that was laid across of it. So you can see that if anybody were to tamper with it, well, they would get in trouble. 
and the sea, the, the wax had the seals of the king and, and nobody can enter. Not only was that sealed, but also the, there were these, these guards that were there. We don't know how many. Some estimate that at least there were more than four or five, up to 12 guards. Because later on we find out, well, we'll read that here in just a little bit, but we'll find out that they went to the priest and told him what happened. <laughs> you know, I need to share with you something, something that took place. But before I get there, let's go to uh, Matthew 28, verses 2 and 4. It says here, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And he appeared, and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men, catatonic, fainted away. Not necessarily that they were asleep, but they fainted away. Something took place. The ground shook and it shook them. And it was, it was putting them in a state of shock that they could not believe it. And to be honest with you, they are the first to witness that the tomb was open, that the tomb was empty, that Jesus Christ has resurrected. It's interesting how they are the first ones and actually the first ones to go and tell and be messengers of the empty tomb because they went right after that they went straight to the priests and they told them what had happened in verses 11 while they were going behold some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place they proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you would think wow that's some great news and so he really resurrected as he said he would and you would think that that would be news to just be blasted out everywhere. However, the scriptures continue to tell us, and when they had assembled with the elders, the priests, the chief priests, when they assembled with the rest of the group, the elders, and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. I don't know. Maybe the guards, okay, I'm sure they were somewhat superstitious. They were afraid. They saw what happened. They saw an angel in white. I'm sure that they, they recognized that the tomb was open. They didn't open it. They, they saw that it was empty. Okay, what are we doing here, folks? Well, let's go tell the chief priest what we saw. And uh, I'm sure they believed in their gods, and I'm sure that they understood the supernatural to some extent. This, if nothing else, not only should shake you to the core, but cause you to believe, to do something about that belief. And it did to them. And they went, but they were so easily swayed by money. Let's put this into today's perspective. Not long after this event all blows over, my question is, where are we going to be? Are we going to be right back to our economic boom that we've had in the past? Please don't get me wrong. I believe that you should do everything you can to take care of your family. Or are you going to take this event and just shove it into your heart and, and okay, I'm going to leave it there and not do anything with it. Because the most important thing for us to gather from this is to be able to say, 
Jesus Christ did something miraculously and we need to share it with the world. We need to talk to people about what happened. But there are forces out there that are more than willing to sway you, persuade you not to believe. A lot of those forces are right now being enacted within our government, within our school system. There are even some uh, quote-unquote believing Christians that say they uh, believe in Jesus Christ, yet it's not what you say, it's what you do. These Pharisees, this council got together and they all, they all got together and they, they, they recognized that this was possibly something that took place, but, but we got to cover it up. And they bribed the guards. Now, if you know anything about the Roman guards, if they were caught asleep on duty, well, they would be executed. They would be executed. So they were afraid. First of all, the tomb got open because we didn't open it. We're in trouble for that. Second of all, the, the body's gone. So now what do we do? Well, tell them you were asleep. Really? <laughs> tell them that we were asleep. Okay. If anybody asks you, and we'll cover up for you. As long as you cover up for us, we're okay. You know, beloved, we really need to take a closer look at the events that have unfolded before our eyes in these last few weeks. What is God saying to you? I, I, I It is more than evident. I hear people say this over and over again. A lot of the newsreels and people that I listen to and, and talk to and many well-known Christians and believers that say God is speaking to us. He is saying something to us. He is using this event for something. What's he saying to you? What are you going to do with this event? Are you going to go back to the way it was before? Or are you going to seek his face in his place? See, the guards were there out of duty. They were there out of duty. Why are you here this morning? Is it, well, it's, it's convenient. It's, it's simple. And, and please, I'm not trying to, there's nothing extra spiritual about being out here in the middle of somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's a place where I can connect with God, but, but you know, I can connect with God in my own living room, just like you are as well. I'm not trying to guilt anybody to, to be here, that you should have been here. That's not what I'm trying to say. My question is, what are you going to do with this? What kind of sacrifice are you willing to make? Are you willing to put all that other stuff aside that more than likely will come to us and say, you know, it's, it was just a fluke. Eh, these things happen. They happen every hundred years. I'll see you at the next hundred when an influenza hits us again. Something that'll take the life of many people. What are you doing here today? What are you going to do with this? Well, the guards, they were there out of duty. They, went, they, they were there because they were instructed to do so. And, and I, I'm just wondering, because I don't think all the guards left from the tomb. I'm sure some of them had to stay behind. You guys stay here. We're going to go find out what happened. We're going to go see what we can do about this. Guard the tomb. It's empty now, but guard it anyways. No telling what's going to take place next. I'm wondering what some of those guards were thinking as they were looking inside and, and, and seeing this angel talking to these women. I'm wondering what they were, were, were contemplating. I even wonder if one of them might have fell to his feet or to his knees like the centurion at the cross and would say something to the effect of, truly, this was the Son of God. The gods were there out of duty. The women, the women were there, I believe, for service. 
And it's very interesting that the women had always served the disciples, that the women that were following Jesus Christ were serving out of their means, out of what they had, out of what they were able to provide. In verses 1 through 4 in chapter 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. He appeared, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They were there out of service. The Bible tells us that they had brought spices to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had came to, uh, they, they had gone there to, to provide some sort of uh, service to the crucified and buried Lord and Savior. We don't know much about them except for maybe Mary from Magdala. Mary Magdalene is the one that is known that uh, seven spirits were cast out of her. Now, because the seven spirits were cast out of her doesn't mean that she was an immoral woman. Most people don't equate her as the immoral woman that that cried over Jesus' feet and, and wiped his feet with her hair. They don't equate her as the same person. But Mary was shaken. She was She was transformed from what these demons were doing to her. Either it was mental uh, anguish, whether it was physical anguish, whether it, whatever it was, it was enough to cause her to say, whatever I have left, Lord, I'm going to give to you. And I'm going to do the best I can. Women were the ones, Luke tells us this, women were the ones that were, were lifted up in the gospel of Luke. Women were given a, a, a prominence in scripture. You, you know, and, and I want you to know something. And I'm just going to take a little side shoot on this because I know a lot of people what they say is that the Bible is a, a very manly book and it, and it subjugates women and talks about it but no it doesn't it does not as a matter of fact everywhere you see women in the Bible the Bible always elevates them always elevates them from Eve to Sarah to Rebecca and Rachel uh, even even Bathsheba elevated uh, the, the prostitute uh, I mean, you, you have all these women that have been elevated to a, a place of, of, of significance. They're never given leadership positions. Don't get me wrong. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of go haywire. Well, if he's going to do that, then this is a, you know, Paul was a sadist, a masochist, I mean, he was whatever, you know. And, and so there was a lot of things that they, they, they don't like about the fact that the Bible says that a woman should submit to her husband. And that seems to throw everything else out of the window. Women were elevated and, and they served and they knew that they could serve and they served out of their means and they provided for the disciples and for Jesus. And, and, and that's, that's who these women were. Susanna, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, they all were women of means, the Bible tells us. But Mary Magdalene, she stands out because of what her, uh, everywhere that you see her, she's always around the disciples. As a matter of fact, except for one time, most of the time she's around the disciples during this uh, this time over the next 36 hours she is there she's there at the cross she's there at the at the tomb and she's there telling everyone else what took place see you may be here for service and I, I thank you guys for being here for service to serve and to set up and to get things ready today but that's okay because Jesus Christ can meet you where you serve where you serve, whether it's in your home right now because you are quarantined and you're having to serve your family. Some of you I know are going a little bit crazy, stir crazy about all these things, but, but that too shall pass soon. 
Some of you serve at church thinking, you know, this is all I can offer. Jesus will meet you there. You, some of you serve in your communities because it's just who you are. God has given you the gift of helps, of mercy. Some of you serve in so many different ways and capacities that it's needed. Not everyone is called to be a mouthpiece or an ear or a hand or a foot. We've been going over that in the f- book of 1 Corinthians. These women went to serve and they served well. The Bible tells us that, uh, that after the, after this, uh, the first day of the week, early in the morning, as a matter of fact, Luke 24 tells us that they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away. I think it's Mark that tells us that as they're walking, they're wondering who's going to open up the tomb for us. And so there's different accounts of what took place. Is it one angel? Is it two angels? Was it Jesus himself? Was it the gardener? There's different accounts, but the most important thing is that Jesus Christ met them there. Why? Because they were offering their service. What are you doing here today? Are you here to serve? Are you here today to give of your service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Jesus will meet you there. The guards were there out of duty. The women were there out of service. And then the disciples. The disciples were there. Well, I think they were disillusioned. I, I think they just didn't believe. They were there out of doubt. They were there even though they walked with Jesus Christ. It's interesting to know. How did the priests know that Jesus Christ was going to resurrect in three days? Unless they were following him around and listening to things that he can probably, that they can probably take out of context and, and use it against him, as some people are in the habit of doing. Maybe they were doing, uh, Maybe they were, they found out by Judas when Judas went to receive his 30 pieces of silver. Oh, by the way, you know, I just want you guys to know this, that he says that if you guys get him and if he dies, he's going to resurrect. And it could be possible that his disciples might come and get him. So I'm just giving you guys a heads up. But whatever the case may be, they believed and it was shown to them and they still believed. But what did they do with that belief? What will you do with that belief? Now, the disciples, I believe they were disillusioned. I believe they, they didn't believe. What? This woman is, 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 what are you talking about? But in order to confirm what was stated, the Bible says, so Peter, and I'm in, in John chapter, well, you know, I should, I should continue on with Matthew. But let, let me go, let me go here to Peter for, uh, excuse me, to John, John chapter 20. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb, both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus. Not lying there with the linen cloth, but folded up in the place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed and he saw, then he believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. John 20 verses 3 to 10. There was something about their understanding of Messiah 
And they walked with Jesus Christ and they, they saw him with all the miracles and everything that he had done. They saw him crucified. But to them, Messiah was not supposed to die. Messiah was supposed to take over the world, especially Jerusalem. To them, Messiah, and now he's dead. And so the day of preparation is over. They're staying indoors on the Sabbath, kind of like what we've been doing here for the last few weeks during this quarantine. Bless you. And they were quarantined. They were locked in. They were kept to themselves because they didn't want to get infected by this virus called sin. You know, they have, for the most part, become the agents that Jesus Christ has used to turn this world upside down. You can be that agent that Jesus Christ will use to turn this world upside down. Many of you have been disillusioned, discouraged. Some of you have been defeated. That's not the way to live a Christian life, folks. When Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, we've been talking about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And next week, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to finish off the, well, the burial and resurrection of the saints. How when we die and what's placed in the ground is not the same thing that comes up. Just like when you take a seed and, and this little kernel and you plant it and that little kernel doesn't come back up again. And what comes up out of that ground is something beautiful. When you plant bird seed, you don't get birds. You get flowers or whatever it is that that seed represents. And you can be that change agent. Some of you are probably discouraged. I'm sure you're, you're a little bit depressed, <laughs> as I keep hearing. But why? Take this opportunity to dive in closer and dive in deeper to the love and devotion of Jesus Christ. Don't do this out of duty. If you do, do it out of service. And if you're going to serve, Jesus will meet you there. I'm sure that uh, Jesus will meet you there even after, out of duty. Jesus met these Roman uh, centurions, these guards. He met them there while they were performing their duty. Jesus will meet you wherever, but what are you going to do with that? My plea, my I'm asking if I have any influence whatsoever because of the gospel of Jesus Christ to impart to you and to impact you in your life, use these next few weeks, months, the, the rest of your life to be that change agent in this world. Let us not go back to what we used to be. There's another couple that met Jesus Christ and that's part of my sermon for tonight. But I'll give you a heads up. Cleopas and another disciple that were on their way to Jerusalem. They too had a profound encounter with Jesus Christ. And tonight at 6 p.m. I will do my first Sunday night service. And hopefully that'll continue doing it. I also want to introduce to you something that we're going to start doing. Uh, we've been wanting to do a, a bilingual service for some time. And we're going to launch out a Spanish-speaking service here pretty soon. Um, I wanted to do it today, but I just didn't have the, the right time. And I've been looking for the right person. And, uh, mira, les quiero decir algo en español ahorita para que ustedes sepan que mi español no es muy perfecto, pero lo voy a hacer. I believe God has given me the ability to speak Spanish. 
And I have been pushing that aside for so many years. I want to raise somebody else up to do it. But, you know, we got to get the word out. And our community, our Spanish-speaking community, needs to hear the gospel as well. And I'm going to do the best I can to be able to translate the messages that I, I do on Sunday mornings and provide them to people who speak Spanish. So if you know people that speak Spanish, have them to plug in. We're going to call it La Obra de North Park or translated the work of North Park. And that's what the new work is going to be called. And if God launches something out of that, another church out of that, we'll continue to call it La Obra de North Park. So keep praying for that as well. And I want to thank you for visiting with us this morning. I pray that the rest of your Resurrection Sunday is celebrated in the remembrance of what Jesus Christ did at the cross for you. He forgave your sin. And all you have to do now is just respond. All you have to do now is just say yes. God's amazing grace has been lavished upon you. And if you've not yet surrendered to that grace, do so now. Stop kicking against the goats. And I know that this morning, especially on sunrise service, most of the people that tune in are believers. I'm going to ask you to amp it up, step it up, move it up. I'm going to ask you to, to go forward even more so. Give yourself fully to what God has entrusted you with. Don't let this just be another Resurrection Sunday. Father in heaven, thank you once again for the promise that you've given us because of the resurrection. And I pray, Father, that as we are able to gather, though not in in person, but in spirit, that we raise up our voices, that we raise up our prayers, and, and that we raise up everything that you have given us to be able to serve you. Whether it's out of duty, Lord, I know you'll meet us there. Whether it's out of service, Father, I know that you will meet us there. Whether it's out of doubt, Lord, I know you will meet us there. Take that duty, service, doubt, and turn it into this force, this unstoppable force that will just plow through this world. I thank you for the thousands upon thousands and millions of people that have come to know who you are. And today, as they are being forced to focus on, the world is being forced to focus upon this occasion because of how it's all taken place. You planned this. You orchestrated this in such a magnificent way. So it's just not the church, but the world is watching as well. I pray that we can become that witness that you've called us to be. Thank you once again, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to share together. Father, as we go to our, our places of worship, online or wherever it may be, that you be with each pastor that is bringing a message today. I pray for your anointed leaders to give your word, and your word only, not theirs, that they share the power of this resurrection that we all have. Father, continue to be with us this day as we celebrate, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. Hey, folks, I love you guys. Thank you guys for being here, all right? You guys take care, and we'll be seeing you soon. I love you. Bye-bye.